the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I take you back in time on that journey through the uh, the old uh, Back to the Future esque uh, landscape in the uh, the air in the DeLorean, back to the mid '90s, the WWF, the New Generation. Uh, each week, bringing a new topic to the table, sometimes recycling the guests, which is what I did again today because he's one of my favorites from the uh, the Get My Go universe, from the world famous K100. Mr. Joe Feeney returns yet again. Happy to be here. And it was it was definitely something that I, I broached the subject to. I was like, you know, I want to do this show. But uh, like mid-90s, I'm one of those guys that, that stopped watching. And it's so common to hear, oh, I stopped. And then I came back for NWO. Everybody says that, you know, and it's true. But uh, like I've gone back and watched some 90s stuff. But I figured if you ever did the ECW, WWE, WWF, you know, cross relationship whatever it was appearances and shit that i could i could come on and comment on that because ecw is also one of the things that brought me back in 96 so and i've seen the stuff that they did with with wb and all that so i figured we could have a good conversation about that i completely agree and you and i had a conversation inside the ecw arena back in september mm. so we could have uh shot the shit cut the mustard and recorded this show under the hallowed halls and the ceiling of the ECW arena because yeah. we were actually in like the arena part. We weren't in that new fancy schmancy yep. treeway with the bar and the lights and all this stuff. No, we were still on the the, the dimly lit side. I was of back the in the corner by the by the back door. <laughs> you were by the entryway. You were by yeah. where they would have come out originally. Yeah. Yep. So that was cool enough. Uh, but yeah, you and I got to chat. Uh, in September at the arena, great show uh, had by all, um, except for you. You were hungover, so oh you know that's. Uh, <laughs> and you know, and it's funny because you know better. I'm sitting there going, "Gotta get up at seven or whatever it was. I gotta go home. <laughs> I'll just hang out for a little bit longer." I believe you're at the Red Lantern. Uh, yep, the night before, the official sponsor of Eyes Up Here with Francine. Yeah, <laughs> schmucking it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a this is an interesting little crossover uh because you would think on paper it doesn't fit the new generation timeline of the wwf because everybody mm -hmm. regards this time as being so cartoony and so kind of lifeless compared to the other years uh but it kind of starts in the middle of it subtly and then ends after the new generation i i pronounce the new generation dead when monday night raw goes to the big titan tron we mm -hmm. squeeze in right before that. And I and I actually, I had my dates wrong. I thought the big crossover episode of Raw where the ECW talent wrestles, I thought that was actually in that part of my cutoff where I, I say, nope, no, no more. Nothing after about March 97. They just squeeze in at the end of February 97. But we'll get to that uh, mm -hmm. in a couple of minutes here. So ECW helped bring you back in 96. You talked about this before the last time you were on, but let's elaborate 
Uh, what was it about ECW that drew you in versus seeing something on WWF TV? Well, I started I, I started throwing wrestling back on when Hogan turned heel, like I said. And, uh, it, you know, I was so excited at that time because it was something different that it made you hungry to see what was going on in other companies. So I'd put on WWE and WWF and I'd be like, yeah, I don't really. And WCW, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. And WWF was going through a time period where it was kind of like, why are they bringing in all the WCW undercard guys? You know, mm -hmm. I didn't get it, you know? And then, so I'd flip between Nitro and Raw and then I'd find on, sometimes it was on Monday night. Sometimes it was on Tuesday nights at 11. I would get ECW on channel 48 in Philadelphia. And back then, like, I don't even think I had the, the cable box with the guide on it yet. You had to look at a TV guide. It was crazy. <laughs> wow. Crazy Dark time. ages. So I would just look at channel 48 because I knew they played wrestling at night in Philly. We would get like, Music City Wrestling, ECW, wow. uh, NWA Wildside. I'm trying to think like uh, CZW eventually had a show. That's that's further down the line. But <clears throat> so like five nights, WCW Worldwide, five nights a week, they would have something on. So I caught ECW. And the first thing that really caught my attention was the BWO. I was like, this is the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever. I've never seen a company acknowledge another company's wow. shit and, and parody. You know, and it's funny because I was around the corner from shows like right now i live like two blocks from where they did their shows in briarcliff oh, and wow. i had no which to me to explain further it was like five minutes from my house when i was a kid and i just didn't have any idea and i had friends telling me like we went to the show i'm telling you it's real it's real pro wrestling and cactus jack was there and this guy raven and sammy and, and tommy dreamer was throwing a guy near the street sign outside the middle school they got banned from town it was incredible <laughs> So that was the first I heard of them. Then the first I saw them on TV was was the BWO stuff pulled me, and then I found myself watching it every week. And another thing actually that hooked me early was was when Rick Rude came in under the mask, and so I, everybody knew it was Rick Rude as soon as he spoke. But it was like, wow, I haven't seen Rick Rude in fucking five years. Like, can I curse on here? Are you kidding me? What okay, I'm we're not regulated. This is <laughs> I, yeah. this isn't Rude's radio show. Yeah, no. We're not regulated. I make. I, I feel like I should make sure. But yeah, so I, you know. I couldn't wait to see the reveal of Rick Rude. And in the meantime, while looking at the BWO and Rude and, and guys that I knew like Douglas and Funk, you know, I learned about Raven and Sandman and Stevie and Dreamer and the Pitbulls and all this stuff. And I just, I became hooked. I, I didn't wind up going for another couple of years, I think, but I was hooked pretty early uh, once I saw ECW. Yeah. You are without a doubt the target uh, audience because, you know, I got hooked in mid 95. So yeah. I got hooked in mid 95 by a kid I went to school with who had the tapes. And he said, look, you're a big wrestling fan. You got to see ECW. I had another friend who's uh, I think it was his aunt lived in Middletown, New York, home mm -hmm. of the Orange County Fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. He went to a show around the same time that I got my first ECW tape handed to me. And he said there was a, a show that he went to was outdoors and Cactus Jack was wrestling. And there was an old lady next to him that had a sign that said Cactus Jack is a pussy. <laughs> and I thought that is the, in 1995, seventh, eighth grade, the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm -hmm. Let me see what this ECW is all about. And just like exactly what you said, mind blown. You see a few familiar faces. You see some guys that you can get behind. Hey, I'm a big fan of Shane Douglas. I'm a big fan of Cactus Jack. Um, that guy Raven looks familiar. I don't know how, but I'll get to it eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, but these other band of misfits bring you in, and it was counterculture to what the wrestling audience was. So you coming back for that was great. See, I never left. I was entrenched in the wrestling bubble, and I was like, uh, this is ridiculously cool. And now watching this, I feel like I'm a part of something, 
and they, they have the same music I listen to. They kind of dress yeah. the same way that I dress. And wow, they're they're beating the shit out of each other with Nintendo. And like you said, the stop sign outside the middle school, <laughs> yeah. uh, the frying pans. I mean, this is stuff that we weren't seeing back then. So it was counterculture. It was really cool. So you come back BWO, they're parodying the NWO. They were going a little harder at the WCW crew at that point. Um, and we come to find out maybe it was because of associations that were had. Now, about a year or so earlier, it was kind of like everybody was fair game. But you saw them go a little harder at WCW in 96. Obviously, the Steve Austin parody of mm. Bischoff and Hogan and Monday Night Quill and all that great stuff. I just watched those yesterday, uh, those Austin promos. The, yeah. I still say the superstar Steve Austin promo, seven minutes of him looking deadpan into the camera is quite possibly the best ECW promo. And the guy was there for a cup of coffee. Is that the one where he does Dusty? No, that's the one where he does the uh, I'm going to be the uh, the star I always star. knew I could be. Yeah. That, I don't think he does. I think he does the serious yeah. seven minutes. I, yeah. It's just looking straight there at the was, camera. There was one serious one where he did. So oh, yes. Me, wait, time out. I'm, I'm sorry. Go. He does do the Dusty thought, in yeah, between. Yeah. Yes. They tell me I'm going to go for the U.S. title. Big push. Nah, baby, that's not for you. And, you yes. Know, did that. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Which I might add is a much better Dusty Rhodes than uh, I'm not going to mention any names. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe just a little bit. Probably, uh, you know, exactly. if you're in the business and you do a Dusty Rhodes impression, that's probably be the only people that are allowed to do it. Yeah. But I digress. Moving forward. Um, so ECW being counterculture, they go a little harder at WCW, but I don't think we really knew why until many, many years later. Um, we've come to find out throughout the years, Paul Heyman and the WWF had an agreement where WWF paid them some money. They kept the doors kind of, you know, freely open. And eventually we would see some sort of talent exchange. Now, what I kind of find interesting about that is you mentioned the WCW undercard guys going to the WWF. While we saw the WWF superstar, megastar main eventers going the other way to WCW. Kind of feels like the ECW guys split. Mm -hmm. And you see one go this way, one go this way. Um, and when that started to happen, it kind of hurt ECW, but if there was a inside track, you would have thought maybe there would have been more guys going straight to WWF. Right. I remember hearing, you know, Sol Kevin Sullivan would say like, if somebody wanted to roll, Paul would kind of give them a heads up. Like, Hey, maybe you want to bring in public enemy or whatever. Right. Public enemy. It's, it's funny that, uh, you know, the, they were still in that new generation era in 95 when they had public enemy and Benoit in for tryout matches. Yes. You know, and I remember from Foley's book, him saying to Vince, like I'm ready or, or Vince saying to Mick rather, you know, I'm ready to make it a little harder. I'm ready to go a little more darker. I'm ready to go a little more, you know, physical and stuff like that. And he wanted to do it earlier, but due to the steroid trial, he kept it kid more kid friendly, you know? So Vince had an idea to go a little, little more uh, extreme, you know, a, a, in 93 94 but he couldn't do it because of all the stuff that was going on so giving guys like benoit and public enemy tryouts and then leading to bringing in foley the following spring was like bringing in cactus jack was your sign that things weren't were, were going to be a little different you know 100 percent correct and spoken like a true person involved during that era because you never thought you'd see cactus jack in the wwf and we didn't we didn't see cactus jack until the end of 97 yeah. we saw mankind but let's talk about the defections uh, WCW always talks about the Eddie, Jericho, Benoit, uh, Ray Ray, 
psychosis, Malenko, uh, and even Conan, go, you know, jumping over there at one point in '95. Uh, I gotta say, the biggest defection first was Public Enemy, because Public Enemy was beloved in yeah. ECW and really marquee stars of ECW. But you mentioned at first they had a tryout match. This was brought up a few weeks back when Husey was on. Mm-hmm. They had a tryout match at the 1995 Survivor Series in a dark match against the Smoking Guns. Now, yeah. do you see the public enemy even in 95? A watered-down version, a maybe a Bushwhacker-esque version of public enemy fitting in in that new generation. Yeah, and I think they would have fit better than they did four years later. You oh know, God! Absolutely, yes. and and they could have been the first guys to really. I mean, I know there were some table spots in '95, but they could have been the first guys to really use the table. Sabu would, might not have been too pleased with that, but you know, they could have gotten over through that. They could have been, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, hands in the air, men on the men on a mission, bushwhackers, baby faces. I think definitely the problem as soon as you mentioned that match was I was thinking about Rocco Rock squaring up to Billy Gunn, and I went, "There's no way Vince was going to take them seriously," but no just the size back then. You know, be so, like Godzilla yeah. teaming up against or go squaring off against a Muppet baby. Like, and mm-hmm. that's no knock on Rock or Rock. He was awesome. Oh, Billy yeah. Gunn is just that massive of a guy. <laughs> Anybody looks small next to him. And one one thing to to step back now that I'm thinking about it is, you know, there was a, ver- a variety of times through the years where someone would, would leave and people would go, well, that's it for ECW. You know, yeah. someone else would that's it this time. This time, Sandman and Raven are gone. And this time, oh, Cactus left. I forgot. How could we forget to mention that the first guy to really leave was Shane Douglas? And that's you know. that's where I was headed next. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. <laughs> the franchise of ECW, the guy who put them on the map, he throws down the belt. My good buddy, the the one and only, the Dean, departs w, uh, ECW for the WWF in the early part of the summer of 1995. Coincidentally, around the same time as the 1995 King of the Ring held in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So Shane is leaving ECW for the WWF. The WWF has this now, <clears throat> excuse me, at this point, <clears throat> a marquee pay-per-view in King of the Ring in Philly where vociferously, and that's a Shane mm-hmm. word without mm-hmm. a doubt, uh, the card is shit on by the crowd. And chance of ECW fill the Philadelphia spectrum. You got to think somebody like Shane, who's not in there yet, he's on his way in, is hearing that and being like, oh, that's different. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I And that, like, looking at that King of the Ring 95 card is, is just a prime example of why I wasn't, <laughs> probably wasn't watching at that time. Because you know what? I would... I would keep my eye on it, even though I wasn't watching. But like, you go to the Blockbuster Video back then, another, you know, or your local video stores, old references, uh, and you just uh, you're walking around. Hey, let me stop in the wrestling section and see what's going on. And I would see the video covers of Diesel versus Mabel and this and that. And I would go, same for me yet. Like, <laughs> it's not really pulling me in. You know? <laughs> and then I would see Hogan Vader, and I would go, that looks interesting. And I always had in the back of my head, like, let just keep an ear on what they're doing in WWE because Hulk was Hulk. We were all Hulkamaniacs, you know, even. Right. From- grew out of it but oh it's interesting to see hawk with new opponents wwf i didn't really get it you know i didn't get it i always liked uh razor of course and michaels and brett but that diesel time as champion was i don't know why that was so tough for for people and for me as well as a kid like i just didn't get into it it was cursed it really was cursed i mean and it's great for him that he got that long run and it really established who kevin nash would be in, in wcw but it's cursed because that 95 king of the ring 
Uh, Scott Hall doesn't wrestle. He's a corner man. Yeah, terrible. Uh, Shawn Michaels is in a qualifying match for the, the – well, he's in the tournament, but he's in a first-round match against, I believe, uh, Kama, the godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really jumping off the paper. Uh, the Undertaker un- – yeah, the Undertaker is also in a first-round match, and he doesn't move on mm-hmm. uh, in, in the tournament. And then the rest of the card is a, the Kiss My Foot match, which – you know, I don't even want to cover that. And this is a new generation show yeah. <laughs> that's that bad as Memphis as Memphis can be in Philadelphia of all places, instead of a Philly street fight or a back alley brawl or something like that. No, we have a kiss my foot match in the middle of this card, um, which is not very good, which saw, you know, Savio Vega's climb. It's probably the highlight is Savio Vega has a couple yeah. Good, good little matches. Yeah. Uh, the the free for all match might be my favorite match of the entire night, and it didn't even make it onto the main show. Was the roadie qualifying for the event against, I believe, Sparky Plug, Bob Holly? Mm-hmm. That didn't make it. I was a good little match. Uh, Jeff Jarrett also just at ringside for this. So what he, was the match where uh, roadie beat the kid? He beat him with some crazy top rope move. Was that that's the that, opening match? That's that night. Yeah, okay. that's that night. Yeah, or yeah, it's got it. It, it look. It's all over the map, the the 95 King of the Ring. It is not a, a star-studded event. And then the main event being Tatanka and Sid versus Bam Bam Bigelow and Big Daddy Cool. So yeah, sucks. this crowd shit on this event. They chanted ECW like crazy. They booed, and not in a good way, Mabel off the stage and just chanted ECW. And you got to think that Vince McMahon, who does acknowledge the chants, or a local wrestling promotion, he's hearing that and he's thinking, "Hmm, what can we do to to, to maximize this association?" And what people, um, it's funny to me that I guess, and I never met Paul Heyman, so I don't know. But obviously, he's got his hypnotic qualities. He can lead you into battle. All this, it's just it's surprising to me as an outsider that a lot of the town believed. That and now they all say they knew he was working with RWB, and I don't know who didn't, who didn't. But now everybody says, "Oh, I caught him on the phone, or I saw him." It's just kind of funny, but like he was a New York kid. He was a WWE, uh, WWF, you know, photographer. He knew all the managers. He clearly wanted to get in the business, but he grew up a WWE, WWF kid. Yeah, yeah. He's from New York. He has uh-huh. connections in the company. You know, I don't know how close people if they knew he was close with Bruce. I don't know what people really knew, but. To me, it always seemed like, isn't it obvious that Paul would have wound up working with WWE from just looking at his trajectory? I'm not surprised that he had connections in there, and I'm not surprised that he had, you know, aligned events and all that stuff. I just, I yeah. find it a little surprising that the talent at the time, but they believed what he said. So, and, and I was found it funny that he wasn't there in the late 80s when he was coming up in WCW and the NWA. I think he would have fit in perfectly in the WWF, but maybe he would have been overshadowed by the likes of Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart. And those more established guys, uh, you know, really only having been in Memphis and the AWA by the time he got to WCW, maybe maybe in the mid early 90s, 92, 93. Maybe we could have seen uh, a Paul Heyman managing the Berserker or something like yeah. that. I, I <laughs> think know? he said he was he was supposed to come do Paul da- Paulie dangerously, but then uh, Crockett was bringing him in for the World Wrestling Network. And correct. That turned into like, you know, he started working for Todd and all that. But I think Paul like. If Paul would have been in WWF, his trajectory wouldn't he maybe he'd be known as like Jimmy Hart right now. Yeah. His, like his life trajectory, like everything fits perfect. Like it, it, at one point he was dead broke from ECW and stuff. But so there was there was highs and lows, but like everything led 
to where he is now. Like he wouldn't be the legendary manager of whoever, if he wasn't already the legendary ECW owner, you know, that part of his life had to happen to propel him to the rest of it. Otherwise, if he would have came in as a manager in the nineties, he would have done his run like Cornette did. And then he would have disappeared backstage and, you know, he would have been beloved, but he wouldn't have been who Paul is now. He'd probably have a top podcast on somebody's platform doing exactly what Cornette does. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Or or even a radio show. A radio show. <laughs> Just like Rue's radio show. But radio show. The question is, would Paul Heyman be broadcasting it from his car? No, but I could, you know, maybe making notes. See, in your car is where you prep, not where you actually perform. That's a good so, point. That's a damn go. good point. Uh, yeah, so with Heyman, uh, you know, eventually he would be contacted by Bruce Pritchard. Uh, Pritchard really being the the go-between between Vince and Paul. Um, we'll talk about Shane Douglas here just briefly. So Shane comes in as the Dean. Obviously, the Dean character did not work. He was gone by the beginning of the year. He was back in ECW in September. Or excuse me, in January 1996. Yeah which 96 would be a marquee year for the franchise as we then would see the next dimension of him catapult to the top of uh, back to the top of ECW. So the, the association goes very quiet. It is not a public thing at all, but in September 96 at mind games back in Philadelphia, this is the first little nugget that we get of an ECW quote invasion as uh, oddly uh, in the opening match of the uh, Mind Games uh, pay-per-view, uh, Bradshaw and Savio Vega, he's always entrenched in these. Uh, <laughs> and somehow Bradshaw, which is uh, Yeah, that's a good point, later. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, outside the ring, we get to see there's the Sandman, Paul Heyman, as Paulie Dangerously, and Tommy Dreamer uh, sitting at ringside. That image still, to this day, I can't get over knowing in 96 who these guys were and that they were sitting ringside at the WWF show. Yeah. There it is. There he is. Yeah, crack one open. Uh, let's get crack let's get extreme. You know, you got to look at it that, and this is one thing that I can really point to as a fan from that era. The colors of the WWF stand out. They pop off the the screen, right? ECW was dimly lit, very grimy, very gritty, very dark. When you got to see these guys in real color, <laughs> it actually, like, you're like, oh, my God, the Sandman's got this yellow blonde hair. Yeah. I would never have thought that. I thought he had white hair, judging by the ECW camera work. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 of course, went back to watch that because I wasn't watching live at the time, but I can't imagine as an ECW fan how cool that was. Like, whoa, like, oh, my, there's my guys. Oh, they're starting shit. Oh, my God. And yeah, Going back to that, how come people didn't, predict paul was working for them i wouldn't have known at that time i would have thought that was a total shoot you know never would have known just like you said what did people tell you they said no this is real Mm -hmm. this is real that's the same way i was told about ecw like hey you might like wrestling but this shit is real and these guys were renegades these guys were badasses so you could absolutely believe they were sitting at ringside on their own which paul Heyman probably scalped the tickets if you really want to uh, get that clever sure uh, but yeah, you would never have thought in a million years that this was a work. Yeah. And, uh, of course they get escorted out or whatever ECW chance. And I just, uh, you know, I would see clips of that and sometimes they would even air them on ECW, which would make you a little suspicious how they air in this footage, you know, yeah, but yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so I, I just, uh, that show was so great. I, I actually was looking, this is like a side note, but, uh, Feinstein was saying something like, Hey, uh, RF video is getting out of the DVD business. Yes, I saw that. Of course you are. You know, even and and actually WWE just said it too, and that's fine, but 
people still want to call uh, Durbin sent an email in the K100 about how people still want to collect, man. People still want to buy physical media. Getting out of it all together is kind of stupid. Yeah. Impact just sold, just sold a double VHS tape of their latest pay review. Do you know about this? I did not know. They put out a two VHS tape for Bound for Glory. Oh, wow. And sold it out. I, I don't know what they do. They could have had a thousand of them. I don't know. All I know is that they sold out this, you know, because it's like a collector's item or yeah, for people yeah. that still have tapes or whatever, you know. So getting rid of physical media, I don't know if that's a great idea, but however, if RF's, he's taking the focus off physical media to promote and, and do web content, whatever, that's that's a product of 2021. But where the hell was I going with that? You were saying that RF was clearancing out the DVDs, so you were uh, Oh, I was going to – I wanted to see how much, like, a collection of ECW TV from, like, 95 to 99 would be or something like that. And it's, he charges a lot of money. It's very expensive. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, I've had – uh, and I sold all my deep. So there you go. There's no example. I sold on my DVDs um, a, a few months ago, and but I had a Raven Samian feud DVD. And the great shit about the RF video ones was it had all the music. Right. It wasn't like watching it on WWE Network. It was like actually watching ECW. So I get that. That was my point that uh, I wanted to go back and get all these tapes from the stuff that they, you know, from '96 and stuff that I missed because it, it was it's timeless, really. But it, it really was. It was a time capsule of of that time. And, and it's a time capsule of the time in your life and your teens and stuff, but it's just, it was a good feeling. It's like how people now want that WCW nitro feeling from AEW. They're not right. getting it. People have wanted that ECW feeling for a long time. You know, that just that feeling of the, you know, everyone's working their hardest, all the fans, you're all friends. You're all having a good time. You don't get that in crowds anymore at, or at the shows, even at the arena. ECW still holds up. That's the bottom line. It, yeah. it it really does. You could throw on any random show, you know, Miracle or Nightmare on 34th Street, whatever that Massacre on 34th Street, mm -hmm. uh, 95 or uh, Hardcore Heaven 96. They still hold up because they were good paced shows. They had a little bit of the in-ring stuff. They had really, you know, beat you to death hardcore matches, but also had and, wrestling matches. And don't forget Chicks and music, <laughs> you know, and, yes, and partying. Do. You go out there. And I remember the first show I went to, I was 18, so I wasn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, Snow White or anything like that. Like I, I, you know, done my young partying or whatever, but I still didn't have the balls to go try to get served in a bar. So that freak, I didn't want to be told no. I didn't want to be carded. So we went to the ECW arena. I was 18. I was with a couple of 19 year olds, 16 year olds, whatever. We all drove down. Our car broke down on the way, so we're pushing the broken down car up, and I'm like, I think it's down this way. We push it up like Rittner, and everyone's seeing ECW with the fucking <laughs> broken down <laughs> car. So that was the beginning of a great experience. But I just remember we all went in and immediately got served. Like, oh, the guys, the guys, like I'm telling you, they're not going to care here. We're all drinking beers, having a good time. Everyone in the crowd. It's 110 degrees in August. You know, it was just it's just a moment in time that that you can't get back. There's no there's no promotion like it anymore. <laughs> That's about as ECW as ECW is going to get. Come on, serving underage drinking, uh, yeah. kid. Come on, ECW, ECW, yeah. w. Uh, yeah. So this invasion now kind of gets a little bit kicked off, but it's weird because they get kicked out of Mind Games, and then the following night on Raw, they're in Hershey, Pennsylvania, one of the more famous uh, tapings of that era because a lot goes on at the taping, including the debut of the uh, fake Razor and the fake Diesel. Uh, Mark Merrill wins the Intercontinental Championship. They debut the Buried Alive uh, tombstone that night. Um, but Taz, uncharacteristically, and this is one of the things I hated about this invasion and this crossover storyline. Yeah, Taz jumps over the guardrail or whatever it was with a uh, um, uh, you know 
Sabu, Sabu Fierce Taz sign, yeah. right? In my mind, in my estimation, it didn't fit Taz, who was this guy guarded by Team Taz and behind this mystique now as this, this just vicious pit bull is now just jumping the guardrail at a WWF show with the sign. That's where I was like, okay, this is not what I thought it was last night. There's something going on. And it makes Taz look like small time. Like he's got to hop the rail at this bigger event because he's a he's a he's not as big as them. He's not right. as big as them, but he's not as big as them. And you know he looked small on TV. He always did. You know, and uh, I could see that. I, and we'll get. I, I hopefully we have enough time when we get to that uh, show where the ECW wrestlers wrestle on WWE. Lawler has a famous saying of of saying like they looked like miniature wrestlers to him. Yes, and, and Jerry's not tall, but so you know seeing guys like Guido and Taz and you know, Mikey, you look and it's like, yeah, these guys are small compared to WWE guys. So, so I, sometimes I questioned who, who, uh, Paulie would present on television when he had that chance, you know, why the hell would you use Guido and Mikey and, um, you know, whoever that's a little bit shorter, like, and I love Guido. I'd still go to watch him wrestle. You know, Mikey's yeah. a, I love Mikey. I had Mikey on creative control. He's a great guy. Sound like somebody else there, but, um, so <laughs> but, but, like the first guy that you present on ECW and WWE was Mikey Whipwreck versus Taz. Lawler was right. They look yeah. small. You know. Well, and we will talk about that in just a minute as to why certain people were there versus others. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, in the meantime, between, uh, uh, September 96 and early 97, couple defections. Uh, yeah. one of the notable ones, and this was one that stands out for me as an ECW fan was Too Cold Scorpio. Mm -hmm. Too Cold Scorpio very publicly left ECW. If you watched ECW in the WWF, you heard there was a mystery guy or a new guy coming in named Flash Funk. When we found out that Flash Funk was Too Cold Scorpio, ECW was the first place to tell you. And he very famously goes one of the ECW tropes, beats everybody on the roster on the before, way out. He, before he leaves. Uh, before being chased off by Taz, but going from a very credible two cold Scorpio TV title contender top guy to the dancing pimp Flash Funk was the WWF staple and the mark of a WWF superstar. If I ever saw one, it was tough. But what was great about Scorp and what's great about Scorp now, which is unbelievable. If they if someone like GCW brings in Scorp, you know you're getting a great match. He still can do it. Yeah. You know, albeit a little bit slow or whatever, of course. But uh, I remember when ECW, when they had the working relationship, they would bring Scorp Scorpio back as like at a cyber slam. Like, who's Rob Van Dam's TV title mystery opponent? Who's Taz's mystery opponent? Oh, it's Scorpio. Well, this is going to be a fucking banger of a match, you know, right. with Scorpio. And plus, he would get an even better response because it was like, we don't give a shit about Flash Funk. We know you can go as Scorpio. We want to see it, you know. And yep. that's that, I think that actually eventually influenced them to turn him back into Scorpio, which didn't make any difference anyway. But yeah, Scorpio and... Uh, Furnace and Lafon, I yep. guess, you know, and uh, uh -huh. even, Ter even Terry Gordy could be and considered. That, that was my next one. I was going to say Terry Gordy, who we've heard the famous stories, wasn't the same Terry Gordy that he was, you know, even a few years earlier, uh, put under a hood as the executioner. Furnace and Crawford, who hit the scene in ECW as this uh, amazing, amazing tag team, jumped to the WWF all at the 96 Survivor Series for the three of them to appear and – for now Furnace and Phil LaFon, uh, to me, at that point, three big defections to the WWF. Is there any, what's, is it just no logic? Is there any reason why he couldn't be Crawford? 
Just no reason, right? Uh, maybe because of <laughs> the other Dan Crawford that was out there in the world. I, I, I really don't know. Furnace stayed furnace, but for some reason. <laughs> never. And if, if you watch, like, watch Furnace and LaFon versus Owen and Davey Boy Smith. Like, holy shit, is that a good match, you know? And, uh, but those guys, you know, I guess they didn't have the mic skills for what, what Vince would have wanted, but they were over as shit the, yes. the first couple of months because they were incredible in the ring. And then WWE, that tag division, hadn't seen anything like that since, you know, the early 90s. Yeah, I saw that match live. I saw Furnace and LaFon uh, versus Bulldog and Owen at MSG in 97, and it was the best match of the night. It yeah. was it was fantastic. But, yeah, they never uh, – they got a couple pay-per-view matches out of it, but nothing – never got that big, massive win, and then randomly turned heel and joined the Hart Foundation uh, later in the year, which made zero <laughs> sense. Terrible. That's all they, they feuded with was Bulldog and Owen, so it made uh, zero sense. Um, but still defections nonetheless. So out of the blue, we find out finally ECW is going to be on pay-per-view if you watch ECW, but out of the blue, Paul Heyman pops back up on Monday night raw in a segment to promote, uh, ECW and have a verbal sparring with Jerry Lawler. I remember being absolutely shocked at the time that that happened. Uh, but it set up the following week, which we'll talk about next. Yeah. And just knowing, uh, I was kind of growing into my smartdom then I didn't have the internet yet. I didn't really have it until the beginning of 98. I remember like immediately getting on and learning that Waltman was going to show up on raw. Like I got it right after WrestleMania 14 and, th and the internet was right. I was like, Oh my God, I can, I'm going to know the secrets. Holy shit. You know? But before that, I still kind of knew, obviously I knew it was predetermined, but I mean, I, I had an eye for like politics and stuff. So I knew when Heyman was on raw and him and Lawler had to debate, that yeah. Jerry was going to get the better of him because it was fucking WWE scripted and ECW's never going to get shown in the right light. Even as a kid, I kind of knew like these guys are under their thumb. They're not going to be able to bl to blow out or whatever. They're going to be they're going to be shown as minor league and they always kind of were. Yeah, they were not in the main storyline. Lawler was just a commentator, so it was automatically brought down. Yeah. Imagine somebody coming in and feuding with like Corey Graves right now. You know, like that's kind of what yeah. it would have been in in '97 with the feud with Lawler, even though Lawler was who he was. Uh, the following week on Raw is the basic transition of the the new generation into the pre-attitude era because this is the final edition of Raw. It is, and this is this is before it becomes Raw's War. It is held in the Manhattan Center, the original venue of Monday Night Raw. Yeah, it had a very special vibe to it. It had a very it, special vibe. It to was it. packed. With yeah. the familiar faces of ECW, the fans, it was an ECW crowd. Uh, and out of the blue, the Eliminators jump through the crowd, take out a stagehand, hit the total elimination. Heyman comes to the ring. The challenge has been accepted. ECW is at Raw. And like you said, a couple people missing from the uh, conversation. Yeah, and, and a couple of things from that that you say, like the, the, the vibe of that role and everything. Two things that were completely different. I realized I was watching maybe a transition into a different show. A, obviously, was ECW and letting Dreamer beat Devon with whatever and hearing Vince get a little uncomfortable. Oh, I think we need to have some lines here and, you know, whatever. The other thing was the Tammy versus Marlena arm wrestling match mm -hmm. with the signature ecw perverted cameraman like right up tammy's ass basically the whole time you know and i was like this is oh, different. Yeah. Definitely different. <laughs> this is different you know so they, yeah the show was and the road warriors and shamrock and it was like wow they're really trying to make the show happening like nitro has been you know so that was an exciting time but to to talk about the ecw part um there were certain you know like raven showed up for a second 
and Sabu showed up for a second, and that was cool. And they had certain guys that had matches. Stevie was out there, and you know, but Shane never came out. And and I think people wanted to see Shane do that. You know, he had he had only left a year before. Yeah, he's with Bammer now. He's with Candido. These guys are all WWE. You know, kind of they have the WWE pedigree on them. They've been there. They've done that. And I think people would have wanted to see the Triple Threat come out and do that shoot uh, rated Vince at ringside like Jeff Jarrett would do later in the year or whatever. And it, it just didn't happen. And that's the missing piece of the entire crossover yeah. puzzle is Shane, mm -hmm. because yes, Raven was the world champion and Raven does have a cameo. So granted, I don't really want my world champion wrestling per se. I want you to pay to see my world champion wrestle, but he just kind of shows up being very Raven. Like he does mm -hmm. the nose thing and he yeah. just stands there Stands in front of Stevie, and that's that's the end of Raven. Raven, who was in that building as Johnny Polo for the entire first year of Monday Night yeah. Raw. Yeah. Hi. Uh, hi, it's Raven. Then he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sandman doesn't wrestle, which is fine. Comes through the crowd. Perfect. I like that. Very good. good. But Dreamer and Devon really doesn't get me going if I'm a, a, a guy who's casually trying to find out what this match was. Now, this was the ECW main event. The main event of the show ends up being a very odd, very, very odd uh, main event. I, it was Undertaker and I think Farouk, maybe, Farouk. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was not very good. It was very long, and, and it kind of killed the vibe that was in the building. And uh, maybe they picked the wrong guys to have that main event spot, but Shane is the notable omission. Um, he, he flat out refused. No, he was and invited. Yeah. And see, like Bammer had just kind of left maybe like a year and a half, you know, something like that. Candido had only been gone for under a year. Like these guys would have been all recognizable, especially Shane and Bammer, you know, and Candido had, was a tag champion, you know, the three of them coming out and this is our big stable. And maybe they lay, they, they're in that eliminator spot. They lay somebody out. Right. A couple of guys or a cameraman or whatever, man, what a, what a different show that would be to remember. But, with Dreamer and Devon, I agree with you because it was obvious that the Dudleys weren't that huge yet. You know, I think maybe they were the tag champs at the time. I don't know. They they might have been passed. No, I don't even years. think they were at that point. I think they were on, they were like on their way because by the time Barry Legal, well, the Eliminators were. They were the tag champs. They come okay, out with right, the right, 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 right. And and by the time Barry Legal comes around, the Eliminators regain them from the Dudleys. But it was still. I remember watching that and seeing some of the chair shots, and then Sammy coming out with the cane and drinking the beer, and I'm like. I never thought I'd see this shit on Raw. Whoa. Like they are, yeah. they're still in the ECW guys, you know, and uh, being a big hack fan. And because uh, I always was, even when I did backyard wrestling, I would just do, <laughs> I would just, you can imagine someone just doing the, the drunken Sandman flip and the punch and shaking your hand like every punch. I, I stole all Sandman shit when I did that. So I was, I was a danger. I had the cane too, which was great. But <laughs> so I loved seeing Sandman on there. And uh, while it wasn't a, a total like, Yes, ECW success. Like there were some good parts, and Hat and Paul come out. Doesn't has this show sucked without ECW or what and stuff? You know, revving Love the crowd that. up. It's still all very memorable. Uh, Shane, I think, and this is just my uh, take on it. I'd have to ask the man, which maybe I will now. Um, I don't know. Maybe if it was just that vehement hatred he had for Vince being what it was, every guy he had beef with was not there. Obviously, the click was dismantled. Half of them are in WCW. Shawn Michaels was not on the show, and the regular crew was basically all in Germany. They were filming the European Championship edition of Monday Night Raw. That was going on while this show was being broadcast live. Mm -hmm. So that's why. So Shane maybe getting the best of uh, you know his uh, his emotions here. 
he could have potentially shown up. It would have been a huge impactful moment. He probably would have had the biggest pop of the night because we knew him as the Dean and now he's back as the franchise and you know, they would have given him the mic. So that is to me, the big miss spot. And Francine still talks about that to this day. They were, they were ready. They could have gone. Shane turned it down. It's almost like uh, I mentioned Foley's book before he says something in his first book where he's like, if you have any of the old lost in Cleveland, McFoley, amnesia shaved eyebrow i think i'm a sailor videos or whatever just please destroy them for the future generations i've never watched that any <laughs> any of that stuff and i've never watched a dean douglas match because i almost feel like <laughs> i don't like i don't want to see shane in that spot you know i i like the franchise i've i have my great shane memories you know so i've never gone back and watched a dean and watched a dean douglas match there's one thing i can point you in the direction of okay and he always says his his career ended in Richmond, Virginia, the night after the Survivor Series, his WWF career, mm -hmm. because that was where the writing was on the wall. He hurt his back. That's where the, 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 the beginning of the end happened. His last appearance is the 1995 In Your House uh, December pay-per-view, where he doesn't wrestle, and he comes out. He's got a, a very hurt back. Uh, he does not cut a Dean Douglas promo. He cuts a franchise promo. Okay, he drops the whole Dean cadence. He is talking as the franchise Shane Douglas wearing powder blue and mm. a big robe. That to me is if you want to get your 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 franchise in and during the Dean era, it's the last night he was on pay per view. That's is that when it. he brought out Buddy Landell or something? Yes, like that? that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in there that it's not only that night uh, at. Uh, What's I almost I almost want to call it the hammer? Is that it's not the Hammerstein? No, this well it's the Manhattan Center inside yeah. of the Hammerstein Ballroom. Okay. I always wherever it is, I always get them confused. Um, but there was other times like when he left ECW. I know this is off track, but when he left ECW '99, there was still kind of that ooh franchise on Raw, franchise Austin. Ooh, maybe we'll see this. And of course, yeah, WCW with Flair for a little bit, you know. But there's a lot of misses with Shane that things I wish I could have seen. And that's kind of, I have to say, this is where I will cap it in terms of our recap only because everything else that happens is post what I yeah. consider the new generation era. This is the tail end. This is February 24th, 97. This is a great episode. I absolutely suggest going to find it if it's on Peacock or if you've got it somewhere buried on a VHS or a VHS to DVD transfer. This is a great episode. It's very well paced. Uh, you feel the vibe of the arena. Even Vince on commentary is a little more loose. Refers to the NWO chants that are going on. The t-shirt yeah. line, NWO. Yeah. Got to love that little jab uh, by yeah. Vince. But it's not a very big WWF show. It's very heavy ECW. And everything that happens after this is basically... So the debate, which you talked about. Uh, Jerry Lawler in the ring. Bunch of ECW guys surrounding Paul. Eh, it's whatever. Yeah, then great. RVD comes in, Mr. Monday Night, Jeff Hardy, Flash Funk. Uh, Sabu has a match with Flash Funk. Yep. Then RVD and Jerry Lawler team up against the Headbangers. Um, and Chris Candido does come back to take yeah, yeah. on Brian Christopher. That's, That's the great. only other notable addition. Yeah. And, uh, well, one thing I wanted to say to, to kick back to the February show is just it's tough to watch it in that bubble because – you, you know, if you're a newer fan or even if you didn't watch that time, you didn't start watching the 2000s, you're thinking, yeah, I've seen Tommy Dreamer a thousand times on WWE TV. What's the big deal? I've seen the Dudleys a million times. Those guys had never appeared anywhere except ECW at that point. 
they everybody that showed up except Raven pretty much was like, this is a new guy I've never seen before. You know, you've never seen Taz. You've never seen uh, Sabu. You've never seen Dreamer or Devon. You've never seen the Eliminators. It was all in that. Holy shit. These guys are on are on WWE TV. All of them had big TV careers after that. But at that point, they hadn't. So it was all new stuff. And another thing people people might not know, although if they're watching this, they, they might have the same amount of, of ridiculous knowledge that we have, is that it was going to continue when there was going to be an ECW match at SummerSlam. It would have been Van Damme and Sabu against probably uh, Samman and Dreamer with Lawler and Van Damme and Sabu's corner in Jersey. It would have been a big deal. Yeah. But Paul and Van Damme had some issues with the way they wanted to book RVD and have him like go to a 10 minute draw with the roadie and shit. And Paul's like, I can't do that. This yeah. is one of my top guys, you know? So it fell apart, but it was certainly an interesting little time capsule of, of the changes WWE was going through and the changes ECW was going through as trying to be that pay-per-view company. You think about actually some of the guys that were on nitro in six months, Raven, Saturn, Yep. Uh, that might be it. But uh, eventually, you know, everybody there is on a major program. Mikey. Mikey's in WWE. Yeah, Mikey's in WWE. Uh, Sam Mammon gets there. Yep. go to WWE. You know, uh, yep. Guido goes to WWE eventually. And uh, Stevie. Stevie's everywhere. Stevie's everywhere in 1997. He is. He really <laughs> is. Uh, the other thing, too, is obviously the Jerry Lawler uh, cameo at the ECW arena. Oh, God, yeah. Where, I mean, I watched it with Francine. It is so awesome still to watch. The lights go out, come back on, and Lawler to be in the middle of the ring. D Sabu, RVD, and Jerry Lawler decimate the ECW crew uh, and the famous line of uh, this the ECW arena, you know, must be built out of toilet paper because there's nothing in it but shit. <laughs> Great. That was one of the best. I can't remember if they condensed it into one hour or if it was two weeks of hardcore TV, but it was like Raven versus Dreamer. This is the last battle ever. Dreamer gets his win. Raven powders out. You never see Raven again until he comes back. Spotlight's off him. He's leaving. Dreamer gets attacked by Van Damme, gets attacked by Sebu, gets attacked by, oh, my God, it's Jerry Lawler, right? They they lay waste to him. Taz comes out finally to chase them all after they beat up everybody that tries to stop them, including Balls and Sandman and everybody. And uh, so Taz comes out, and they finally powder. Now Shane's up in the balcony, and he's basically saying, I don't want nothing to do with this yep. stupid shit. Fucking, I just want to watch him wrestle. Get in there and wrestle, motherfucker, and all this stuff, you know. So Taz eventually gets Shane to come down and wrestle him, and I'll beat you in three minutes, you know. And it's like, well, if you don't beat me, you fucking, you're suspended. You can't feed your family, all this stuff. And then Taz beats Douglas. He makes him tap in a very short time to win the belt, turn baby face, cap off that. I can't imagine, like, in the building, that must have been, like, 90 minutes of just straight story. It's boom, unbelievable. Boom, it's, boom, right? Boom. It's crazy. The whole, yeah. like, it, it's hitting you. It, it, but it's, like, it's hitting you over the head, but it's almost like you don't, you want more because it's ECW. You want more and more and more and more. What a, what a night. But the lower thing is just on another It level. shows Paul's, like, genius because immediately it's, like, uh-oh, Raven's leaving. We're another one of those times. Raven's leaving. ECW's in trouble. By the time Raven, you know, rolls out of the ring, Paul's going to find a way to make you forget about him. And mm -hmm. he did. Yeah. What's uh, before we wrap up, what's the one dream match between, let's say, King of the Ring 95 and February 97? If you could book one WWF match versus one match WWF guy versus ECW guy, it could be a tag match, it could be whatever, what would you pick? I'm going to cheat and pick two there. I would love to have seen throughout any of the years, Raven undertaker interaction, but back then, you know, yeah. the cult Raven, maybe he's tricking Paul bearer. He's put him yeah. in the mankind slot. You know yeah. what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Raven Undertaker. And probably uh, that 95 Sabu, even though he was in and out and WCW and back and this and that. Sabu and Sean, you know, see. Because, hmm. I mean, 10 years later, we got Sabu Cena, which was already like, what a clash. What a weird yeah, clash of worlds. <laughs> but Sean and Sabu at the time would have been like, as far as the sheets and RSPW and all that were concerned, probably like number one and two in the States, you know, and putting those two in there together, seeing Sean adapt to that, that would have been, that would have been great. I would love to have seen a franchise Bret Hart match at that, that point. Third, yeah. yeah. Where yeah. Bret was, you know, absolutely in the prime and Shane was in his prime coming up, uh, maybe cheat a little bit and get some of that 96 Shane in there versus uh, Bret Hart. Yeah. Uh, but those are absolutely great, great choices. Uh, there's so, it's just that there's so many crossovers they could have done had they been able to work it out, but still, man, the wild west you couldn't trust anybody and i love that that you got to almost tip your cap to it still being so carny and old school that they wouldn't let they wouldn't let the roadie <laughs> the road dog go to a draw with rvd and that thus ends the relationship <laughs> yeah going out with a fart oh boy all right well we'll uh, start to wrap it up here where can the uh, fine folks who listen to this new generation declassified show if they don't already know where they can find one joe Fee. yeah you find me on Twitter at JFEni3RD and Creative Control Networks at the CC Network One. I'm on uh, the Raven Effect with Raven and Rich Bikini every Monday on Spreaker and MLW Radio. And then every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday, you can hear me on uh, the K100 with Conan and Disco feed where they do K100 Talks, K100 Rehash, and then the main show, which comes out on Friday. I'm not featured very heavily, but I am on there somewhere. You got to listen. You'll catch me every now and then. So. Uh, and follow follow that on at K100 Conan on all social media and keep up with that show. And uh, also, you can catch the two of us on the uh, yep. very lovable, not hate group uh, uh, podcast video show. Uh, not a radio show, not a TV show. Yeah. Uh, get my go. Get my go. I, I've actually, I don't know if this is a rousing endorsement for it, but I've been using it to fall asleep the last few nights. <laughs> but almost like, not like I want to fall asleep, like you listen to sleep music to put you right out. I want to, I want to listen to 45 minutes of get my go and then peacefully drift off. You know, I've been listening to old episodes and just kind of waking up and hearing parts and falling asleep. It's been good. I I can't wait to record the next episode. I thought the last couple that we did were very funny. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming, what Mike has uh, in store for us. And of course his editing is always on point. Um, I was going to mention possibly a bigger year for get my go in 2022. Uh, people, some people take that the wrong way and try to find out what we got going on and shit. So maybe, maybe I won't mention that, but so check out, get my go. Uh, you know, it comes out usually on the weekends on YouTube and then the following week on audio podcasts everywhere, iTunes, Apple pods, uh, Spotify, everywhere you can find it. Absolutely. And once you get to episode 19, those uh, melodic tones of the Chadster start to uh, make you have some happy dreams. If you're sleeping yep. while listening, you, to you it. come in and, and the song takes shape. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's that's beautiful. the way. That's the way we go. All right. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on uh, Twitter. On Instagram, it's at IB Exclusives. My website is IBExclusives.com. You can find all my autograph signing information there. You can also catch me on the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas on the Russo brand. And of course, my favorite podcast of the week, Eyes Up Here with the Queen of Extreme, Francine. Patreon.com slash Francine Podcast for gigantic extras and shows that you get every single week courtesy of me and the queen and also catch us on the creative control network a little bit later in the week for uh, those that don't subscribe to the Patreon, which I don't know why you don't, 
Uh, so for my great good friend, Mr. Joe Feeney, this is your good buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.